I'm Taylor, and you're listening to the Hopeless Sports Mantid Podcast. Welcome into this episode of the Hopeless Sports Mantid Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we're going to run through an all-around college football update. We're in through, I believe it's week nine now that we, we have, we're just past halfway home in the college football season, so we're going to talk about some of my preseason predictions where I missed, where I hit, and then... We're going to go over my initial top 10 on the same night as the committee releases their top 25 rankings, and I'll give you my logic and reasoning as to how I come to the rankings that I did. So with that, we'll get started. We'll jump right in, and we'll talk about where I missed as far as preseason predictions. So the the first the first thing that I guess I want to get out of the way is I was very high on Wisconsin coming into this year. I thought they could be a contender out of the Big Ten West and possibly challenge Ohio State, Iowa, those other teams for the Big Ten. That's not been the case at all. They've remained old school Wisconsin in terms of passing attack. Very few explosive plays. Graham Mertz has not emerged like how I expected him to. In fact, he's only thrown for over 200 yards once all season long. And his QBR is sitting at 39. From some of the tape that I've watched, I really correlate this to. It's very vanilla play calling. A lot of three yards in a cloud of dust. So they're in constant high-pressure, short-yarded situations, often deep in their own territory. This was evidenced especially during the Penn State and Michigan games so far this season. And the, the offensive line, they can they can run block extremely well, but the line is not holding up against some of the better edge rushers in the Big Ten, especially Aiden Hutchinson. And so Graham Mertz doesn't have time to really step into a throw downfield to where they don't have to have these nine to 10 play drives in order to put the ball in the end zone. And that really adds up because you lower your margin of error. They turn the ball over. You can come back and your opponent can hit explosive plays. And before you know it, you're down and you're playing from behind when you're a power run complimentary football style team. So I think we've, we've seen some, Pretty good play from Nick Herbig as kind of the the new T.J. Watt in terms of being a really good edge rusher at the Jack linebacker position for Wisconsin. But the the defense is just put in so many tough positions throughout this season because of the kind of play that we're seeing from the Wisconsin offense. And there's just other teams in the Big Ten that – they might not have as good of defenses, but their offenses are exponentially more explosive, and that's really just how college football is played nowadays. You have to be able to hit big plays. You have to be able to score with quick strike ability, and that's just something that's been completely non-existent from those, this Wisconsin offense. The next thing that I missed on was I was very high on LSU coming into this season. I contributed a lot of their issues last year to COVID and losing some guys to the NFL, mainly Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, those kind of guys from that 2019 national championship team. The problem is it has since come out that 
Coach Ed Orgeron did not have a great working environment. The assistants didn't want to be there. The players didn't want to play for Coach O. He was distracted by co-eds in terms of engaging in extracurricular activities, hitting on pregnant wives of board members, other kind of nonsensical behavior. And the team has just lost focus on top of that. Eli Ricks got injured. Derek Stingley got injured. Keyshawn Bouti is injured. And they sit in a position to where now Coach O is going to finish out the season. And then Scott Woodward, the athletic director, begins his coaching search. And Woodward is known for making a big splash hire. The problem is, at this point in time, there's not really that many big names available in terms of a coaching search. You're going to have to kind of develop a guy to the kind of coach that you want him to be and give him time to learn on the fly and get a recruiting class that he wants. Luckily, because of that 2019 team, there is a solid amount of talent to be there and be successful in year one for an opposing head coach. I think that makes the job a little bit more attractive than many of the other jobs out there, such as USC. But it's going to be a long season for the LSU Tigers, and this is definitely not the kind of team that I expected to see by early November in terms of college football playoff outcome. Where I hit biggest thing of all is I was very was not high on Florida coming in. Obviously, I'm a Georgia fan, so there's going to be a little bit of that coming in already, but they just haven't had the kind of talent that Ohio State and Alabama's and Georgia's of the world to where you can have a lot less of a down year and be able to go out and be competitive again the very next season after you have a massive amount of NFL talent leave with Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Toney, Kyle Trask, and plenty of others. We've seen a Florida team that looks more like a Dan Mullen Mississippi State team than a, than a Steve Spurrier Florida team. There have been numerous fans calling for Anthony Richardson to start all season long, and Dan Mullen finally made that decision against Georgia, which starting your young quarterback in his first start against probably the best defense in the country, not the smartest of decisions, but from what we've seen from Richardson in the few snaps leading up to that and then in the Georgia game, I think back to the LSU game specifically, this play style between Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson is very similar. Now, Richardson has a little bit more arm talent and a little bit more size, but they kind of have the same weak points. They both scramble. They both want to improvise and move out of the pocket on bootlegs and off of play action in order to be able to make reads and throw the ball down the field and use the QB powers and QB draws in the running game to really take pressure off of the tailbacks at Florida. Now, the defense is somewhat improved. We've seen the front seven be pretty good. We're seeing a little bit less of third and Grantham, but just with Kyle Pitts gone, with Kadarius Tony gone, with Kyle Trask gone, there's just been a massive 
downward turn in terms of passing efficiency and being able to hit big plays in the passing game. They became a much more run-dependent team, at times even one-dimensional with the run, and that's the reason they were able they ended up losing to teams like LSU, Kentucky, and Georgia. Now the LSU game was probably the worst loss of all because they gave up a ridiculous amount of rushing yards. I believe Ty Davis Price on LSU had over two hundred yards rushing. And LSU and their biggest weakness offensively has been a complete inability to run the ball. So when a team is doing exactly what their weakness is on you and it's extremely successful, then you know there's just not adjustments being made and you're seeing a lot of missed gap assignments, bad pursuit, bad angles. That's something that's been rampant in the in the Florida defense all season long. A big reason why they gave up some of the plays against Alabama that they did was just inability to tackle in space and taking bad angles, which is something that the top teams excel at and the mediocre teams do not do well at. So hopefully for Florida's sake, Dan Mullen gets it back on track, but it's looking like, as many of us predicted, it could very well end ugly in Gainesville for Dan Mullen due to the lack of recruiting, due to the inability to get enough talent in to, in uh, Gainesville to compete with some of the top dogs in the SEC. So with that, we're going to take a quick break and then move on to my top 10 for college football. So when we go through this top 10, we're going to start at 10 and then work our way to the number one team in the country. I'll give you a little bit of feedback on what these teams need to do to improve their playoff resume, what I have seen from these teams that has them in the position that they are, and what these teams especially need to improve on. I think that's the biggest thing with this is all these teams. You're, you're eventually trying to become a football team without any weaknesses, but at this point, pretty much every team has weakness. We're seeing a lot of parity, and so that's why I think unlike last year especially, there's a lot that you there's a lot of give and take and there's a lot of subjectivity in terms of what the rankings are and this could be the case all the way into December all the way on selection Sunday because a lot of these teams could run the table and they don't play each other in a conference championship game or in the regular season so I think there's going to have to be a lot of insightful discussion in the playoff committee this year and they're really going to be forced to stick to some kind of criteria throughout the season in order to maintain the integrity of the college football playoff. So, at 10, we have the Oklahoma State Cowboys, one of the best defenses in the Big 12. They were able to create turnovers. It's a big reason why they came back against Texas. The defense stepped up, got a pick six, really was able to limit the productivity of Casey Thompson. They play pretty good run defense, and they were able to beat teams such as Iowa State with Brees Hall. That's kind of the thing that they hang their hat on is defense. The biggest issue for them is the passing attack. They need, they, they need Spencer Sanders to play better in general. They need better decision-making, better accuracy, him to 
just all in all open up the passing attack, take some pressure off of this running game and this defense. They've hit a few explosive plays, but it's more it's not even as much the explosive plays the 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 um just high level high the highlight plays it's just consistency in general across the board needs to improve for this team offensively and the tough situation they're put in because of the Big 12 largely being down this year is they are going to have to from this point sitting at 7 and 1 they have to run the table the rest of the season. They're going to have to beat Oklahoma at Bedlam, which is something that has become is one of the more one-sided rivalries in college football. And then after they do that, because there's no divisions in the Big 12, they will have to beat most likely Oklahoma twice. So there's definitely an uphill battle for the Cowboys heading into the stretch the final stretch of this 2021 college football season. But if there's a team in the Big 12 that's going to finally knock Oklahoma off the top, Oklahoma State is going to be that team. At 9, we have the Michigan Wolverines. They played a very tight game against Michigan State in East Lansing, so they do get a little bit of leeway with that. The main thing for them is... Cade McNamara isn't the most consistent quarterback. We did see some big plays for them against Wisconsin. And a lot of... They have some very good jump ball capabilities from their receivers on the offensive side of the ball. But they rely a lot on the top players on their team making splash plays. They Whether it's Aiden Hutchinson getting a strip sack, whether it's Daxton Hill getting an interception making a a big TFL, the overall level of play for the non-key players on Michigan's team is not really there. They come off as a team where the game plan is very simplified to where you take, especially on their their defense, you take Aiden Hutchinson out of the game, you're going to be able to throw the ball pretty well. If you can fool Daxton Hill with some eye candy, you're going to be able to throw the ball pretty well. And they don't have a particularly great run defense, and that was a big reason why they lost to Michigan State this past week. Kenneth Walker really just ran all over their defense. Some of it was due to substitutions and tempo, but a lot of it was just being out physical by the Michigan State offensive line, and that's something that they're going to have to really work on because – the biggest game that they have on their schedule the last week of the year is Ohio State, and Ohio State has really shifted their mindset into an even stronger power-running team. At 8, we have the only remaining undefeated team in the ACC, Wake Forest. They have an extremely high-powered offense. They put up 70 points on Army, for example, Hit tons of big plays. Sam Hartman, I think, is one of the more underrated quarterbacks in college football. They just know how to be explosive on offense in general, whether it's running the ball, throwing the ball. The problem is, I know they're undefeated, but they're just not giving up. and uh, They're just giving up too many points, and their schedule just isn't strong enough. They could, at this point, they would play not a single ranked team on their schedule, even when they were playing said team at this point in the season. And 
they have a strength of record that's not that far off from... I should say strength of schedule that's not that far off from Cincinnati. And Cincinnati in a lot of their games is playing much better defense and not really relying on a shootout in order to win some of these games now. The, the big, this is a big question for me because we know kind of the money aspect of it all that the committee is interested in and how it's run by mostly Power 5 conferences. The Where Wake Forest is located in the playoff is extremely important because it dictates whether they need help. Maybe they get the Clemson treatment where they are able to play this week's schedule and if they run the table in the ACC and go undefeated, they get in. Or whether because we haven't really seen this Wake Forest team before in the playoff, whether they need help and if they do, how much help they're going to need from some friendly fire in these other conferences in order to get into the playoff, whether they get picked over a group of five team like Cincinnati, whether they are going to possibly get picked over a one-loss non-conference champ that played a stronger schedule. So, they are one of the key teams that I think the initial rankings are very important to them because they show what the what their capabilities are in terms of how they control their own destiny and how far they can move up just by purely winning the games that are on their schedule. Now we go to number seven, which is going to be the Ohio State Buckeyes. They've Greatly improved in terms of eye test since their initial loss to Oregon at home. This started when they moved, they kind of changed their philosophy to relying a lot less on CJ Stroud throwing the ball all over the field as a young quarterback to, we're just going to beat you up physically. We're going to run the ball down your throat with Travion Henderson, probably the best, fresh, by far the best freshman running back in the country, one of the best running backs in the country. And They've changed play calling defensively. They're doing a lot better in terms of overall defensive play, limiting explosive plays, but I can't rank them any higher because of the loss at home to Oregon. We have to value the head-to-head. We have to value that Oregon was able to go into the horseshoe and come out on top. And I understand it was very early in the season, but... You can't make these playoff rankings based off of assumptions. You have to make them based off of the resume and what the team has accomplished. Now, the main reason I follow it to that much of a degree is because Oregon and Ohio State have the same record. If Oregon happens to drop another game in the Pac-12, then we can definitely see Ohio State moving above them in the playoff rankings. But... For me personally, as long as these two teams have the same amount of losses, I'm going to rank Oregon higher because of that head-to-head matchup. And I think that's something that's going to be very important as well because there is a very good chance that Ohio State runs the table the rest of the year, wins the Big Ten, and then Oregon can also run the table the rest of the year and win the Pac-12. And we have to decide how much we're going to factor in 
that early season matchup between those two teams, it could decide whether one team gets in and one doesn't. If there's enough undefeated teams, it could decide whether one is a two-seed or a three-seed or a three-seed versus a four-seed. So this is one of the other key factors of the three key factors that I'm looking for from the committee as far as these initial playoff rankings. At six, as I just covered, Oregon at six. They have that head-to-head over Ohio State. I'm going to rank them higher. I do want to also mention that that head-to-head matchup that they won, they did not have Justin Flo, and they did not have Kayvon Thibodeau either in that game, and they still were able to win that game pretty convincingly. The problem for them is they're not beating their Pac-12 opponents very uh, by a strong margin, and the Pac-12 is down this year. There's a lot of bad, bad teams in the Pac-12. Oregon is basically all that they have left, and Oregon is playing a lot of these teams way too close to the chest. And this largely comes down to the play of Anthony Brown. Justin Flo back, Kayvon Thibodeau back there, Defense is making plays. They're really limiting the passing game. They're getting after the quarterback. C.J. Verdell is doing a very good job in terms of the running game, but at times they're one-dimensional on offense and they don't play complementary football because of poor decision-making by Anthony Brown. He is able to run the ball pretty well, but he's thrown a lot of poor interceptions, and they've those turnovers have really allowed some of these subpar teams to stay in the game and it's limiting the offensive output that we can see from Oregon. And it is a very big reason as to why they are not in the top four. Now, I think they have a better shot personally if they are able to run the table and win the Pac-12 they're still in a very good shape. But with the chance of having as many undefeated teams as we do, there's also a good chance that even as a one-loss Pac-12 champion with their only loss being to a subpar Stanford team in NorCal, they could still be left out of the playoff. Just largely based on the weakness of their schedule alone, this is the same kind of problem that Wake Forest is running into, but to a little bit of a lesser degree because, again, they have that head-to-head versus Ohio State. At five, I have the Alabama Crimson Tide. Bryce Young has been tremendous on third down. They're hitting tons of explosive plays, as you would expect. Jameson Williams has been the beneficiary of most of these, and they're able to put up a ton of points on a lot of these teams. Now, the issue is, With Pete Golding running this defense with, I think, sometimes a little bit lacking in the time of possession in certain games, they're also giving up a lot of big plays, and that's why I can't include them in the top four, along with them having that loss to Texas A&M, which was largely created by explosive plays being um, executed on them from a more from a team nonetheless and A&M that's known for being more of a nickel and dime offense and the the weaknesses are there for Alabama for them they got to improve the pass protection 
big reason they lost to Texas A&M was because Bryce Young was getting sacked repeatedly and having to improvise and create on his own. Now, we know he's fully capable of doing that. He sees the field extremely well, but with how young he is, I think you can only do you can only do that for so long before you end up trying to do too much on a play and it comes back to bite you. And from this defense, we've seen it's Josh Job has been the the main contributor to giving up these big plays. They allowed Tennessee with their lack of depth to keep it a one possession game at certain points in the fourth quarter because of coming back. They would give up a big play and then Tennessee would go back and hit one of their own and this game was in Tuscaloosa. And it was very much, to me, the same defense that I saw against Texas A&M. There just weren't enough improvements made, which was weird because I don't know if it was just they had a game plan for the air raid offense of Mississippi State, but we saw that angry Alabama team the next week and it looked like they had returned to form and then they kind of revert back to the Alabama team that we saw before that Texas A&M lost with giving up the big plays, just busted coverages in general. We have seen Jordan Battle improve both in run support and not getting beat over the top, but the one common denominator has been Josh Job getting beat by receivers, and we don't even see this necessarily in touchdowns being scored, but well, it is a smart move to make, but when the these guys are beat whether it was Jacob Copeland and whether it was uh, multiple Tennessee receivers. We're seeing multiple, uh, plenty of pass interference calls because of him not wanting to give up a touchdown on a play that he's beat. And I think if Alabama wants to have a shot at winning the national championship, they need to play Kool-Aid McKinstry instead of Josh Job. Now, obviously, I don't know the inner workings of Alabama. Maybe he doesn't understand the playbook, but like we're seeing with Ajay Hall in the receiver room, but I, I, I don't have the issues with the offense that many Alabama people have. I think they kind of expect a, a little bit too much from Bill O'Brien, but the defense from Pete Golding is definitely a weakness that needs to be fixed if they want to have a shot in Atlanta against Georgia. At four, we have the first uh, Big Ten. We have the the remaining undefeated team in the Big Ten, Michigan State. Kenneth Walker is emerging as a Heisman candidate. Peyton Thorne made some great throws against Michigan. I think mainly the fade route to Jalen Naylor against Michigan. But at times, we saw like early in the game against Michigan, he threw a ball into double coverage and it was intercepted. A little bit one-dimensional at times. Kind of saw some some of the similar mistakes against Miami. And that was a big reason they were able to hang around against Michigan State. But this team plays like a Mel Tucker defense. They don't have the best athletes in the world. A lot of this team comes from the transfer portal. But they are well-disciplined, well-coached. They get after the quarterback extremely well. So that's able allows them to really limit a ton of big plays. Michigan did hit a couple, but they do extremely well in terms of that. 
for a team that doesn't necessarily have the best athletes running all over the field, I think that's going to really limit them down the stretch. Now, they could come up with a game plan that works really well against Ohio State. That's definitely their toughest game remaining on their schedules after this Michigan win. So, at the end of the day, the Big Ten is not really a question mark because these teams that are left are all in the East division and they're going to play each other. So we will see from the results of those games which team ends up coming out of the Big Ten. If maybe we see Michigan Michigan beat Ohio State and then we see Michigan State lose to Ohio State. Maybe it's this is kind of this you go through these scenarios and what say a Wake Forest or a Cincinnati needs in order to possibly reach the playoff depending on what the committee does based off of these initial playoff rankings. But I want to see Peyton Thorne be a little bit better with turning the ball over and I want to see on defense, we've seen plenty of pressure on the quarterback, but I want to see some more turnovers and more consistency in the back end of the defense. They let Charleston Rambo hit a few big plays. They let the Michigan receivers hit some big plays. And that's just something that in modern college football, if the less you can get beat over the top, the better chance you give your team to win the game. With that, we're going to go to number three, which is going to be the Cincinnati Bearcats. They continue to play kind of hard-nosed, almost Big Ten-style football as a group of five team. And they they had a struggle win against Tulane last week. What wasn't their best performance. We didn't see the most aggressive, most creative play calling. But Jerome Ford has been a workhorse at running back for them. Kobe Bryant continues to be one of the better shutdown corners in college football. And they are still undefeated at this point, and they have that win over Notre Dame. I think we'll see a little bit more consistency from them as the season goes on. They're going to need SMU to continue to play some good football so that way when they play them possibly twice, if they're able to beat them, that's able to improve their strength of record, which as a group of five team, your back is already against the wall in terms of that with having a weaker schedule. But I think with how they played defensive physical football from their coach, Luke Fickle, right now I have them as the the number three team in the country. Now because of the weaker schedule, I think – Three is about as high as I'm ever going to be able to put them. I don't see them going any higher if, say, Oklahoma continues to play like they have or Alabama emerges. Ohio State could continue to build after that early season loss. Three is where I have Cincinnati at, and I don't see them getting any higher for this point until um, possibly into the playoff. At two, we have the Oklahoma Sooners. They're finally at their bye week, sitting at 9-0. and They snuck by Kansas after being shut out in the first half, but they were able to put up 35 in the second half. The offense has been completely transformed 
after Caleb Williams took over, they're able to hit explosive plays. There's just a much more trust between him and the rest of the offense. The defense is getting healthier. They still gave up 31 to TCU. They're still giving up um, too many explosive plays. But some of the earlier games when Spencer Rattler was at quarterback, I think their defense actually kept them in games and allowed them to come out on top. And they sit here still undefeated now. It's their divi- their conference to lose in the Big 12. They still have Bedlam left among Texas Tech and a couple of other games, but I think that they have been, just, just with their, their capabilities on offense alone, put them at a top 10 team, and then we've seen steady improvements from this Alex Grinch defense, and I think the more time these guys coming back in the secondary get the more improvement we're going to see now. I can't go into the assumptions with them just like I can't with anybody else in the playoff, but at this point, they remain undefeated in the Big 12, and they're showing a ton of explosiveness on offense that's going to be hard for any defense in the country to stop. So because of that, I have them at number two. At number one, I think this is the only ranking that basically everybody knows coming in, which is the Georgia Bulldogs at one. Had a bit of a struggle in the first half against Florida. Really weren't able to do too much on offense. I wasn't very pleased with how Stetson Bennett played. Had a couple of bad turnovers on throws that should have been made or not thrown at all on one of them. The defense continues to play lights out every single week. They gave up a garbage time touchdown, and so that brought their points per game total to 6.6 points a game, which is still an absolutely ridiculous number in terms of how they're able to shut down modern college offenses. The, the, the way I see it with this running game, Zamir White over 100 yards again after getting a late touchdown run, on Saturday, you put JT in at quarterback, this team has no weaknesses, and I think they become utterly unstoppable because JT adds that extra element of the big play explosiveness. We've seen that in the running game already from Georgia, and we've seen Stetson do it periodically, but I think in terms of consistency and decision-making and the ability to limit shooting yourself in the foot, I think JT has to be the obvious choice at quarterback now. Kirby has said uh, through a lot of coach speak that it's about kind of knocking the rust off. I really don't care how lackluster of an opponent Missouri is. I want to see St- I want to see JT Daniels out on the field making throws, getting those in-game reps with some of these receivers. We're well, still waiting on the injury status for George Pickens. I think he becomes a difference maker as well just in terms of his ability to go up and get the ball, just win those one-on-ones against arguably any DB in the country. But with how insane this defense is and how they've been able to really do what they want on the offensive end at times, and, and I, there's, there's really no question at this point that Georgia is the number one team in the country.
That's going to conclude this episode of the Hopeless Sports Mantid podcast. Make sure to like and follow the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it. And make sure to share the podcast so I can reach as many listeners as possible and keep bringing you guys the content that you want to hear. And make sure to follow me on Twitter at TaylorBell222 to get show updates and some some sports uh, hot takes throughout the day. Uh, thanks again for listening. This is the Hopeless Sports Magnet Podcast.